Welcome for the Love of the Game podcast presented by Horsebills.com. I'm Bob Ike. I'm joined by my business partner, Mark Dosh. And Mark, we had a really good conversation with Harlan Malter. He's head of the Iron Horse Racing Syndicate, been in action for about 12 years now, had a real good horse named Bucero, who took him to the Breeders' Cup and Royal Ascot. And uh, Harlan was not at a loss for words. He had a lot of great things to talk about and a lot of great stories as well. Yeah, it's exciting to get the podcast rolling again. We, we had some solid episodes uh, earlier in the year, and it's always great to talk to the different characters in the game and hear their stories. It's, it's amazing how many different types of people are in the game from different walks of life. But uh, like the podcast is called For the Love of the Game, so many people love this game. Uh, we've, had, we've experienced quite a bit of turmoil uh, throughout the industry over the past few months since we recorded, our, we recorded our last podcast. And hopefully now we can maybe start to put that behind us a little bit and get back to really just enjoying the game and the sport that is truly one of a kind and, and probably uh, the best game out there for people that really get into it and understand it and love it. So we have about a 40-minute interview coming up right now with Harlan Malter. We think you'll enjoy it and uh, a lot of good stuff. And we'll close out the show with some more information on Iron Horse Racing, as well as talk about closing weekend at both Del Mar and Saratoga. So enjoy the interview, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Further Love of the Game podcast, presented by Horsebills.com. I'm Mark Dosh. And Bob Ike is my regular host, co-host. Today we are pleased to welcome Harlan Malter from Iron Horse Racing to the podcast. Harlan, thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me on, uh, Mark and Bob. So we took a bit of a hiatus with with the show, and uh, we're excited to have you as our first guest as we gear up for the run to the Breeders' Cup. We're finishing up with summer racing at Saratoga and Del Mar. I know you were at Saratoga uh, this week for one of your horses that were running. So why don't we get started by learning a little bit about how you got into the game, how you were first introduced to the sport. I know that that happened uh, growing up in New York. Yeah, well, actually, uh, uh, Saratoga uh, really is a good starting point for there. Uh, I actually, my parents are both from New York, a big sports fan. My father's a big Yankee fan and uh, just a giant sports fan. I ended up growing up in Boston and... Uh, Kind of one of the events that was always on our circle of uh, things to do in the sports world was getting out to Saratoga. Uh, so we'd go out there at least once a summer. And uh, I think a lot of people who experience Saratoga uh, kind of really connect with the sport in a way that maybe others don't do in other parts of the country. And, and that's what, something that makes Saratoga really special. Um, but as a big sports fan growing up, uh, horse racing just kind of became part of my uh, the landscape. Uh, with, with, with Seattle Slough in 77 and a firm in Alidar in 78. That really got me hooked. And then I ended up going to school, uh, playing baseball in New York City. Um, one of my relatively regular things to do between uh, school and baseball was heading to the OTBs in, in New York. And, and New York racing, uh, that was back when Cigar really kind of got going, uh, really hooked me. And what, what always uh, has hooked me with sports uh, has been the moment, uh, you know, the last minute field goal, the three, two count, uh, you know, with two outs in the ninth. And, you know, I think that's why people love sports. They're waiting for that moment. What, what I just love about horse racing is, you know, that moment right before your horse is loading, um, you just, you can't make that feeling up. And, uh, that's what's hooked me. That's what keeps me going. I wake up every day going, you know, I, I can't imagine not having another horse running, uh, 
you know, to think about. And it's really one of the real reasons I got into uh, uh, opening up Iron Horse to a much wider group of partners this year, uh, because uh, I just it's just so enjoyable to share that thrill. Harlan, yeah. uh, let me just touch on what something Harlan said about that feeling when they're going to the gate. Mark and I both played sports growing up and I played small college basketball. Uh, I relate it to the same thing, Harlan. I was part of a small syndicate. When the horses are in the post parade and that lead up of going to the gate is the same sort of adrenaline rush I would experience, you know, right before tip off of a basketball game. Is that the similar feeling for you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I've been fortunate enough uh, in, in somewhat of a short span uh, from having my first claim uh, about 12 years ago and, and getting our first win at Penn National on a $4,000 uh, dated race to uh, being lucky enough to be in two Breeders' Cups and Royal Ascot. Uh, we have a horse running in a two-year-old Indiana sired race uh, in about two hours. Uh, and I'll be standing in my office with the simulcast going and I will definitely feel that uh, that accelerated heartbeat, uh, pulse, you know, just like I felt at the Breeders' Cup, just like I felt at Royal Ascot. It's, 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 it's really a, a, an amazing thing that it doesn't matter where the horses are running. When you own that horse, when that horse is out there giving your all for you, um, it's, it, it, it's, it's impossible to replicate. And like you said, sports, it's why sports dominates America as far as, uh, our pastime of, uh, of, of our interests. And, uh, Horse racing is right up there with everything, and uh, it's it's a thrill that you, you can't replicate really through anything else. It's, it's it's a similar story for all of us that are into the game. We all love sports, and for most of us that are really into horse racing, horse racing is our favorite sport. Even though we might also still like football, baseball, basketball, etc. And so you have the landscape of mainstream where where horse racing has fallen off. But um, ho hopefully, as we we continue to move forward. We can find ways to get more of the mainstream back in, interested in the horse racing. So running a syndicate like you do, what is the sell like for you when you're trying to get people to join uh, your syndicate, whether they're part of horse racing already or whether they're, they're complete newbies that are, you're trying to get into the sport? Well, that's, uh, that, that is really the, the rub with horse racing. And uh, as I said, being an athlete for, you know, all the way back through childhood, uh, a tremendous amount of my friends are athletes, and it always fascinates me that the same person that will buy, uh, you know, twenty thousand dollars season tickets to a team that uh, doesn't break five hundred and show up passionately to see it, uh, you know, just can't figure out how to get hooked in horse racing. They just can't see it, and it really is one of those things that they need to experience. I have a saying that I say to everybody: you have to. If you're a sports fan, you have to own a percent of one racehorse because it's a very, very easy. Uh, prescription. You're either going to own horses the rest of your life, or you're just going to go, eh, it's not my thing. There's no in-between. And you kind of owe it to yourself as a sports fan to just see, is it something that, uh, you know, that, that gets that uh, adrenaline going for me? Uh, we just had, uh, it's actually probably, the, it's the last time I saw you, Mark. Uh, we bought a two-year-old filly at the Santa Anita sale in Indiana, bred filly, and we sent her back to Indiana. Um, and we got a great partnership group about 16 or 17 people that are truly from all across the country, California to New York, to the Midwest, to Florida. And uh, we were lucky enough to have the horse win first out. And I, there were two videos, one of one of the people at the race and one of them that they filmed their whole family watching it. And 
I believe my partners have told me that they've all watched the video about 30 times, that it gives <laughs> them chills just watching the excitement of it. And uh, I think it really is one of those things that, uh, you know, it, you know, we touched on why we love horse racing and the thrill it gives us. And I really think, you know, I've been lucky enough to have this one very, very good horse named Bucaro uh, who took me tremendous places. And I think the difference, there's, there's a divide in horse racing between the people who are just gamblers, which is, I'm thrilled for them. It's, a, it's, the, heart, it's the, the heartbeat of the game and people who own the horses. And I think once you own the horse, and this is what the partners feel, there is such a bond with those horses. There is such a respect. There is such a love. And really, as athletes and the pain we go through in training and the struggle we go through to achieve, um, when a horse like Bucaro goes out and every single time the gate opens, he puts his head down and he runs to win, it, it is an unbelievable bond we have with the animal. And I really think that's something that our partners immediately felt with this horse because she went out one first time. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, her name's Lady Allie. I'm assuming there will be a baby in the next six months that will be named Allie. Um, but, uh, you know, that's something that, that really, uh, you have to own a horse to get the experience. And through a partnership, uh, you really can, can get that with a relative ease um, Har to get to it. Har Harlan, you mentioned you started your syndicate about 12 years ago, and your big horse obviously has been Bucaro. Just talk about the, the thrill of the big races he took you to, uh, Breeders' Cup and Royal Ascot. I mean, those, that's pretty heady stuff. Yeah, well, like I said, you know, we again, this has kind of been the uh, uh, my finance, my, my background and my 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 other quote job is, is a financial planner. I'm a, I'm a big believer in value uh, and uh, efficient use of capital. We we bought Bucaro for forty three thousand dollars, a two year old, uh, which probably was less than it had cost to get him to that two year old sale. So he was not a expensive buy. We had very high hopes for him. We put a lot of time with people that we trusted in picking him and we had very, very high hopes. And he showed a lot of promise early on. Uh, we were lucky enough to be with uh, two different trainers who showed a tremendous amount of patience and let him develop the way the way he could. And lo and behold, we're at Keeneland uh, as a five-year-old, and we turn to the top of the stretch, and you know we're ahead of the uh, Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint winner, um, and we're coming down at home at twenty-six to one, and suddenly you know our kind of life changed. Um, there is nothing like winning a race at Keeneland. Uh, there's nothing like being part of uh, a Breeders' Cup, uh, Del Mar, and a Churchill, and uh, and Royal Ascot. And like I said to start this, uh, you know, I have a horse running in Indiana Grand, um, you know, in two hours, and I'm going to get those kind of same uh, that same pulse beating uh, for that race. But obviously, what is so amazing about horse racing, and what I really do believe in these partnerships is. We have a game that is diversified quite a bit between very, it's always been like this, but in this commercial market, very, very wealthy people, and even the syndicates quote being made up of very, very wealthy people buying extremely expensive horses. Um, what's amazing is no matter how much money there is there, uh, there are horses that are going to take you places that you could only dream about. Uh, and it happened to me, you know, I used to always say, you know, um, uh, you know, you never know where a horse is going to take you, but you kind of, you kind of just saying it uh, now it's happened. So that's really the, 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 exciting thing about horse racing is you can get in, you can find something, get in with the right group of people. And one of these days you're sitting there, uh, you know, watching your horse come down the stretch in, in the Breeders' Cup or Royal Ascot.
the, the good fortune you have with him on the racetrack. Now you're, you're playing a different ball game with him as a stallion. How, how has that process gone for you? I know we talked, he, he had a, a pretty successful season down there in Florida. What are the prospects for, for him as a stallion as we move forward the next couple of years? Well, we, we got lucky with Buccaro in the sense we got very, very fortunate in the sense that um, his sire has been, uh, his sire Cantheros has been lighting it up. Um, I think he's just going to continue to get better. He's very, very popular in Kentucky. Um, and Buccaro is a very, very good looking horse who was very dynamic. He could win on dirt. He could win on turf. Um, and uh, we did a relatively aggressive marketing campaign. I kind of took you know, what I'd like to say, the enthusiasm I took to horse racing, I took to the stallion business. And uh, I went down to Florida. I met amazing people, uh, very, very strong, passionate breeding uh, down in Florida. Um, it's a difficult landscape everywhere, uh, but they are still very passionate. The amount of individual people I met was fantastic. And he got a tremendous amount of support in his first year. Uh, we're very, very excited. I think the fact that uh, he is a three-quarter uh, to uh, World of Trouble, uh, so it's his sister's son by Cantheros also. Um, we actually are starting a new ad campaign, Freaky Fast Family, uh, with the two of them. And uh, it, it's a very, very exciting family. And uh, I think people like speed. Uh, they like precocity. And, uh, you know, now I, we, we've done the hard work on, on getting the mares to him. We're going to do a lot of work in the second season. And, you know, and his babies have to look good and run well. And we're, we're optimistic he'll do that also. Harlan, talking about your syndicate a little bit, um, you talk about a communication platform, a lot of transparency, no markups uh, on your purchases, and everybody sort of pays their, their pro rata percentage of bills. So talk about the way your syndicate operates and, and how you're a little different maybe than some others. Well, and, and, and this is this is where the my financial planning background, I actually have a law degree also. So I've kind of come to it with a very um, specific set of business practices in my other businesses that I've wanted to bring to the partnership game. I think there's two different sides to this. I think that a uh, horse ownership is very difficult. Um, uh, I talk to clients about investments as a risk to reward. Um, horse racing is a very risky decision. Uh, but the reward, obviously, I've lived it, can be very great, both financially and uh, uh, through just, you know, something you can't put a price on, the thrills. So what I wanted to do in the partnership game is allow everybody to own a percentage of a horse exactly the way you would own it if you owned 100%. And a lot of partnerships, unfortunately, aren't set up that way, and that's just their business model, and I, 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 everyone should do their business the way they want to. But the way I want to do it is, if you own 5% of an iron horse horse, it's like you own 100%. You buy the horse for exactly what it costs at the auction. You pay exactly what the vet bills are. You pay exactly what the trainer's bills are. Exactly. There is no markup at all. So it would be just like you own the entire horse. There are no mysteries on fees. Every dollar is accounted for. The way we get compensated is we get a percentage of the winnings as a management fee. And you know exactly what that fee is, um, and you're able to see exactly how that works. So the way I look at it is no different than a very wealthy person who goes and hires a bloodstock slash management team, which many of the high-end owners do, and they pay them a percentage of how the horses perform. There's no, the money doesn't go into a, a, a bowl and get mixed around and kind of come out and, and, and our partners are confused. They know exactly what it is. 
How this has become even better for us is the two things you discussed. One is, is Slack, which is a, uh, a communication portal, which our partners have found absolutely engaging. It allows me to be able to communicate with people, not via a newsletter or an email, instantaneously. Our horse finishes the cross as the finish line. I can immediately put something out. Um, I can keep everyone updated with everything quickly. They can engage with everybody. They love that. But really the part from my end on the partnership and which was so important for the transparency was horse bills. Uh, horse bills allows me uh, to create an account for every individual partner. Every partner has a portal to see every expense. At the end of every month, I'm able to divvy up the exact trainer bill, the exact vet bill, right to the partner. The partner goes right on their portal and they see their exact share, just like if they own the entire horse. And I think our partners have come back with tremendous feedback uh, on both of those things that we have. And, you know, like I said, my ultimate goal is to own as many horses as possible with as many partners as possible. And the way for me to do that is to keep the costs as efficient as possible so that they can deploy their capital to buy as much horse as possible. And that's really the whole premise uh, on why we do the no markup on anything. If our horses are successful, Iron Horse does well. If it's not, well, we'll go buy another horse and hopefully that one will do well. But it doesn't cost the partners anything uh, if the partner doesn't work out, if the horse doesn't work out, you know, via a markup uh, of any sort or or a management fee that's just built into the horse. Well, appreciate the, the horse bills plug and we can get into that a little bit more as we move forward. But I kind of want to touch base first on uh, uh, more of, of the business model. So obviously your, your business model isn't potentially as lucrative for you personally as the models are for some of how the other people run it. How does that uh, affect your, your business? And obviously you're running a business as well as trying to you know, find horses and win races. Um, how, how does it affect your business that you're, you're, you're put at a little bit of a disadvantage as far as uh, earning money as opposed to how some of these other syndicates are run? And how has that helped as a selling point to bring in new partners? Well, it's interesting. It, it, and this, is, this may be the, the, the problem that horse racing sometimes has. We're 20 years behind. Um, I finished law school in 1996. The way financial planners made their money, very simple. Mark, I have an investment for you. You give me money, I'm gonna charge you a commission up front, and now I make my money. The investment just goes and does whatever it wants, and guess what? If I wanna do make some more money from you, what do I do? I go sell you another investment and you pay me up front. That is gone now. That is, that, that I started my practice in 96 going as a fee base where we got a percentage management fee. Uh, that ended in financial world 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, I brought that to the partnership business. Um, we want to make money based on the advice we give. Um, and you're absolutely correct. Obviously not getting that big upfront chunk um, uh, lowers what we make uh, you know, upfront and possibly overall. But obviously, there's a price point that needs to work for people. And our feeling is the more partners that we can have, the more horses we can own, uh, and really the more enjoyment for us. What I will say this is because we do no markup, we leave the kind of secondary parts of horse racing, the attending the races, the, the um, uh, I guess, the amenities to horse racing. We leave those to our individual partners. Um, Instead of us saying, hey, we're going to mark this horse up 
25 or 50% or 100%. So we have money in our coffers to have a cocktail party or to do this or do that. Our partners come to us and say, hey, listen, we know how to get to the racetrack. You, we all talk to each other on Slack. We're going to just go get our own table. You don't need to provide that to us. We don't need to give you money up front for that. We'll take care of that. Um, and we just really want to pay for you to manage our horse. We want that. And that's really the model we've gone to. And, you know, I hope it catches on only because, you know, I do think at the end of the day uh, to sustain horse ownership, to sustain horse ownership, every dollar that you put into buying a horse really needs to go to the horse flesh. I don't think that if large owners paid a markup on every single horse they bought, uh, they could sustain it. Um, and they don't. Um, so I think at the partnership level, I think it's worthwhile uh, for people uh, to look at that as an option. I think some of these other option, uh, uh, other partnerships that use markups and provide tremendous other things to their partners are fantastic. And that may be something that's important to some people uh, that they want to be involved with. And um, I urge everyone to just kind of look at everything, uh, all the alternatives out there and, you know, make the thing that works for them. I just like the fact that we've been able to give this as an alternative to people. Arlen, yeah. what about, sorry, Mark, what about uh, some of the trainers you use? I know Tim Gleishaw, Bill Mott, uh, talk about them and anybody else who uh, conditions your horses. Yeah, well, our, our three main trainers over, you know, the majority of our past six, seven, eight years have been, um, have been Tim Gleishaw and, um, and Mike Trombetta. Uh, Bill Mott has come in recently. Uh, I, I became relatively friendly with uh, Bill's son at Ascot uh, when Yoshida was over there with Bucaro and developed a nice relationship. We have a great relationship with Phil Hager of Taproot Bloodstock, who is just a, a tremendous guy, uh, really has a knack for picking horses. And uh, he, he, he worked out of the Billmont barn for a little bit, so has a good uh, connection there uh, for picking horses there. So our three trainers, uh, we have an, there's an interesting dynamic to horse racing now, and everyone is willing uh, to talk about it. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. It's out there all the time. Um, there are a broad range of different types of trainers uh, that are out there and people have to pick and choose who they want to use. And all three of those trainers that I use are old school, the horse, do it the right way, day in, day out, do the right thing by the horse. Uh, that's not a judgment to any other trainer, but these three guys in my mind are, are, are top of their class as far as uh, just doing the right thing by the horse. Uh, every day um, and, you know, putting us in a position where we have a, a happy, healthy horse to put out on the track uh, to give it a chance to do the best. So we we've just been thrilled with all three of them. Um, and uh, obviously, Bill, uh, Bill doesn't need anything from me, nor does Mike. Mike just had a uh, obviously a, uh, a Kentucky Derby horse. Um, and, you know, Tim, Tim's one of the classic stories in the game today. Uh, he's a phenomenally good trainer. He does a great job. The year Bucaro was there, not only did he have Bucaro, uh, he had Bullard's Alley. He had two Breeders' Cup starters out of a barn of 40 horses. Uh, Bucaro cost $43,000 and Bullard's Alley cost $11,000. Um, and I tell this story all the time. Uh, we went out to uh, Del Mar. I happen to live out here, but I was there every morning for the seven days running up. And Tim had a choice. Um, he didn't want to bring a groom from Churchill because he needed them back at Churchill and he could hire somebody new. And he said, you know what, I've taken care of these horses every single day. I'll do it myself. And I have never seen a more tired guy in the paddock before a Breeders' Cup race because Tim 
groomed both of those horses for seven straight days himself. Um, and that, that's just the type of guy Tim is. Um, and he does a great job with the horses. So we're, we're thrilled with all three of our trainers. We, we have used uh, Steve Caceres, who's great, uh, Ron Dandy at, uh, at Parks in the past, uh, and these are all great horsemen. So you, uh, you grew up on the, on the East Coast, and now you're located on the West Coast. So talk about that transition, and even though you are based on the West Coast now, you're still mostly running in the Midwest and on the East Coast. So how does that dynamic work for you? Um, I, I, as a financial planner, I am a rewards junkie. So I try to earn as many possible frequent flyer miles as, <laughs> as possible. So uh, I, I think before, right before I got on, I was booking my flight. Uh, our two-year-old Indiana bred will be in a $100,000 stakes on September 11th. And I will be in, in, in Indiana for that race. So I do fly quite a bit now. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I, I definitely I can't hide that I've uh, that I'm a, a Northeast uh, person, uh, an East Coast guy. Uh, and even in California, people pick up on that pretty quickly. Uh, but I uh, moved out here about eight, nine years ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think everyone who lives here knows how great the weather is and, and, and how great a lifestyle is out here. So I have a, a wife and a daughter, a three year old daughter who love it out here. And I, I enjoy being here. Uh, we haven't broken into the California racing circuits, mostly because I have very, very um, uh, close relationships with these three trainers. I've had great experiences at all the places we run on the East Coast, um, but we are not close to to developing some uh, California horses as uh, as those opportunities come up. Where do you envision the partnership going for your, for yourself? Um, in the next few years, you talk about value and buying horses that uh, maybe, you know, not six, seven figure horses, but done a good job buying the horse that you have. Do you see yourself um, reach, reaching out for horses with bigger price tags as we move forward? And how many, what's, what's kind of the sweet spot of the amount of horses that you want to be managing under your iron horse racing? Yeah, so I, I think I will uh, look. I like the value proposition. Um, I, I, I look if you go out and buy an eight hundred thousand dollar horse uh, at OBS in March and you debut it at Del Mar and the horse wins like a good thing, that's that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, you know, that's that's it's a fun way to do the business. Uh, but you know, there are obviously a lot of very expensive horses go by the wayside, and I think the majority, uh, you know, from my financial advice side. Uh, I'd like to take my shots in, in a more value, um, a more value uh, range. Um, so we do a couple of different things. One is we, we like to buy value. Uh, we like to kind of pick our spots uh, like this Indiana bread we bought out at Santa Anita and then shipped back to run in Indiana because of how strong the Indiana bread program is. Obviously, uh, that reaped uh, great rewards for us with Bucaro. Um, so we, we're, we're, we're very opportunistic on looking for uh, things like that. Um, but I think I'll, I'll let the partners dictate a little bit. If we have a group of partners that come and say, you know, we listen, we'd like to look for a $250,000 two-year-old, um, you know, we would do that. But I, I think the sweet spot for us um, is in that, you know, 30000 to 125000 range. I think that gives, uh, you know, quote, the regular guy the opportunity to get into the horse, uh, you know, for 5 or 10%. I'm a regular guy. I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing you guys would consider yourself regular guys. It's tough. It's tough to deploy money and buy 250 and 300, 400 thousand dollars horses. And, and uh, you know, for most of us, 
So I think there are values to be had. It's, it's a lot of work. Phil does a great job on kind of unearthing some of those things. Uh, uh, David Mia helped me pick out the, um, uh, the Indiana bread out of the Santa Anita sale. So uh, I, that's where we'll end up probably being with most of our horses. What we're going to do, we, we did some two-year-olds. Uh, we just completed a nice yearling purchase at the FASIG in New York. We have, and there's still some openings in that partnership, uh, we have a September Keeneland yearling partnership where we're going to look to buy two or three $25,000 yearlings, hoping to pinhook one or two of them and keep one to race depending on, on how they look. So we're not constrained by having to sell. We're willing to race them, but we'll pick and choose which ones look uh, as an opportunity. So that one is still an available uh, partnership. Um, and we may even, you know, we've thought of potentially buying a broodmare um, to breed to Bucaro and see if some people are interested that there's been an appetite for that also. So um, as far as the number of horses, um, I'm a big believer in technology. Um, the way we've set up our business, uh, and again, uh, this is a completely unpaid plug for horse bills, although I love you, Mark, and it's a, it's, it's a tremendous product. Horse bills has, you know, completely transformed my ability to, um, to manage the partners and to manage the partnerships. Uh, Slack, again, also, um, they don't need my help. That They just went as an IPO. They're all incredibly rich now. But Slack has been a very helpful product uh, for me to be able to communicate. And again, the partners are, uh, that's one of the big feedbacks I've gotten. A lot of partners who have been in other partnerships, the first thing they've commented on uh, was, uh, you know, the ease of communication. And again, also the transparency of the billing. So, you know, look. We have, uh, we, we, we put together uh, five horses this year. The stable has about uh, 10 horses running. You know, we'd love to have 20 by the end of next year. Um, and again, it's it's the appetite of the partners and and that's what I want to kind of give them the opportunities to, uh, to, to get into the game. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think you make a lot of good points. We, we talked about how it can obviously be a risky investment and, uh, even to have any kind of success, uh, if you're paying more than what you should be paying, it's hard to make it make sense for the regular guy. Obviously, the people that are throwing big money at it, they might not be in it so much to make money as they are just for the for the sport of it and, and to win big races and own fancy horses. But for, for a lot of people that just want to get into it and, and try and make a little bit of a wise investment, at least, uh, obviously, it's going to be the, the most entertaining investment they ever make. But at the same time, trying to grind out some kind of a profit or get lucky with with a horse they, they didn't pay too much on and and, and have a, a stakes horse um so uh, you, the points you make are, are great for that aspect of it to have people get get a real taste of, of how it can be and, and have a shot at doing well uh, we talked about horse bills obviously and so a lot of these syndicates uh the, whether you're, you're an owner paying bills or you're a syndicate paying bills uh, that that becomes a very difficult part of, of the process that people don't like and these syndicates a, a lot of them hire a full-time accountant and so once you start adding all those extra you, you mentioned other costs but you there's a lot of other there's more extra costs on there that make the bottom line very difficult uh to overcome and, and show a profit so with horse bills uh, i think that that's been allowed you to be able to continue managing the books yourself not have someone that you have to pay a salary for and um do all the accounting for you Talk more about how th that has helped uh, just to kind of keep the cost down, have you be able to manage it, and what you were doing before and how what you're doing now is so much better. Well, it's, it's actually the, the, what, what I was doing before and the, what I was doing after is, is horse bills. And, and, and meaning 
I could not, uh, you know, I'm a business person, right? So the business has to make sense. And, and that's really, at the end of the day, the, 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 the decoupling of the partnership business is, my, is, my, is what I've tried to overcome for people. I think that for too long, partnerships have basically told people, look, you're not going to make any money. Um, it, it, you know, this is just kind of a let's, you know, not that you're not going to, but you have to assume you're not going to. And that's, by the way, they weren't lying. Um, it is very difficult to make money for a horse. And I talk about that on my website. That is correct. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't watch every single dollar. We shouldn't try to maximize every single dollar. Um, and what horse bills allowed me to do is make that uh, a cost value proposition for my partners. You're exactly right. I couldn't do this. What horse bills does in all one spot, I would need to hire an actual person to do it. Um, and it would take them real amount of time to, to process it. And then the end product actually wouldn't be as good as what I get with horse bills. Um, so uh, before I really had very, very small partnership groups of people I knew, uh, there was not a lot of reporting because I just couldn't do it. Um, and that's why I kept it to a small group of people who knew me and I didn't have to worry about that. I couldn't do that with my financial planning practice, um, in any way, shape or form. I have to be very, very highly specific. People demand, where is every dollar? Um, and that's the, that's the interesting integration. My financial planning clients and, and rightfully so, how much am I paying you, Harlan? I, I want to know exactly how much I'm paying you. How much am I paying for my investments? What is my return? These are reasonable questions. And I don't think there's a, this is an unreasonable thing for people looking at partnerships. Exactly where is my $1 going? What do I get for my $1? And once you have it, can I make sure I see where all that money goes? And this is what Horse Bills does for me. Um, you know, I haven't truly, I have not gotten a single question from a partner about a cost um, or where is the money going? I do talk to a lot of my partners who are in other partnerships. And truly, when I ask them, they don't even know how it works. They don't know. They may know they put in money, but they really don't know anything other than that. They do get some statements. And again, um, that doesn't mean anything's being done wrong. I just always feel that transparency, not only is it something that consumers in almost every aspect of the world demand, should get it in horse racing. And I, I, I think horse bills is, is a, just a giant key to that uh, for my business. Well, we talked about uh, trying to trying to run out of profit, but at the end of the day, we also talked about how much the game and being involved in it is, is such a thrill. We, we talked about uh, Lady Alley and you and I spoke and, and you told me a story about your, one of your partners who was sitting at his office a couple of days after she won. And I think that kind of just epitomizes what how great the sport is, whether you're a sheik, a sheik that uh, owns, you know, millions and millions of dollars of horses or whether you're the regular guy just trying to grind out a profit. So why don't you rehash that story a little bit for yeah. our listeners and, and so they can appreciate, you know, if, if you're a sports fan and you like watching football and cheering for a team or if you bet on a team, you get a little bit of a thrill. But, but when you own a horse, you, you really can get a thrill that, that's going to provide lasting memories. Absolutely. And actually, like I said, this is, 
this doesn't happen often, right? You know, you rarely buy a two-year-old, throw it in, you know, training for two months and just immediately go out and win first out. Uh, so I feel very fortunate that it happened. And I feel very fortunate for my partnership group. And I'll just give you three very quick stories from all three different partners in this horse and their exact experience, the beauty of social media. One is a as a younger guy who uh, has really just recently found horse racing. I think he was a college athlete also, and he kind of started to get hooked on it. And he used social media quite a bit. He connected with uh, with Rachel McLaughlin at uh, Indiana Grand um, and was just talking about horse racing. And Rachel had actually referred uh, to Tim Gleish on Iron Horse, and he got involved. And um, his first horse happened to be Lady Alley. Went down there, he visited her multiple times uh, with his wife, and he got his friend in also, Mark. And um, they ended up, uh, the race gets won, and I look at his Twitter feed four days later, and he says, uh, I've put a picture of Lady Alley as my background on my computer, and his comment was, um, you know, I'm trying to sit here at work and do my job, but four days ago I was in the winner's circle uh, of my horse, how is this supposed to work? You know, just that he was still on this unbelievable euphoria, euphoria four days later, um, and he just couldn't even fathom, like, you know, how do I get that back? And I think all, everyone who owns a horse knows that, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the thing about horse racing, I talk to people all the time is, you know, you can't just immediately throw them out there the next day when, when you don't get the results you want, you got to wait. And that's part of the joy of uh, the patience and on having it come through. I'll give you the two other very quickly. Another partner of ours, uh, happened to have somebody video him. He's a, he's a, a guy who had waited a long time in his life to buy horses. This is the first horse he bought. He drove up two hours for the race and the joy on his face jumping around, you know, looked like, a, you know, a seven year old getting his, uh, you know, on Christmas morning. It was so amazing. And then the third video was uh, a new partner, never owned a horse, reached out to me from the website, was very interested in it. Uh, and he videoed his whole family watching the race and, you know, multiple kids. I think he said his grandmother was sitting on the couch in the back of the room praying. Um, and the thrill in all their voices, he didn't go into this thinking he'd win the first race, just the joy um, uh, of seeing this. Look, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm, I, I, I've loved going to sporting events and seeing my team do something. But at the end of the day, having this connection, owning your horse, owning, uh, having this connection, I, I think the story I've used in the past was, imagine your dog who you love like a child, could also go in a professional sporting event and win it. What would be your reaction to that dog when yeah. he got home that day, <laughs> right? I mean, he, you'd let him lick you in the mouth for as long as he wanted. I mean, this is how much love you'd be showing. This is how we feel with our horses. And, you know, to me, like I said, anybody who, who has never been involved, who's even thought about it, get into a horse, have a connection. I know there's a very wide range. Uh, there's some new programs where you kind of own it on an app. Um, and there's other ones where you own a whole horse and things like that. But where you can connect with the horse, where you can you can really bond with it, you get enough information and just see how that feeling is. Because, you know, my guess is it's going to be something that if it clicks for you, it's going to be part of your life going forward. And it'd just be great for the game for more people to do that. Yeah, for all the sports shortcomings and the issues that we faced, the, the greatness of it on so many different levels, as we've talked about, is what, what keeps it going. And uh, I think and hope is what it's going to keep it going for a long time to come. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Uh, appreciate all the kind of work with Horse Bills. I'm glad we were able to find each other. You, you were able to find the product and have it help you. We wish you continued success moving forward and look, look forward to speaking uh, again soon. 
Great. I, I really appreciate you having me and um, uh, look forward to a long relationship with horse bills. Harlan Walter from Iron Horse Racing, our guest on the For the Love of the Game podcast. We'll be right back with the close. Thanks for listening. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Harlan Malter. A lot of great stuff there, Mark. And uh, if you'd like more on Iron Horse Racing, visit their website, ihracing.com. And he talked about they're trying to make a stallion out of Bucero, a separate website there, bucerostallion.com. Mark, uh, we'll close out this weekend at both Del Mar and Saratoga. So kind of a bittersweet thing. The summer comes to an end on Labor Day. But uh, out here at Del Mar, we've really kind of righted the ship, I think, from all the turbulence that we had earlier in the year. Uh, we've been able to run five-day racing at Del Mar. And we've been able to have a very knock-on-wood, uh, very safe meet. The handle's down a little bit, but hey, people have been working and the racing's been good. And the two-year-olds are going to be in the spotlight. The Del Mar Futurity, Bob Baffert will sing out, send out eight rings. He's won the race 14 times in the past, Mark. So uh, you got to make Baffert the one to beat. And the debutante, a couple defections, but Inspiresa, uh, trained by John Sadler, will probably be the favorite in there. And Sadler's won eight stakes, so uh, a couple good two-year-old races to look forward to at Del Mar. Yeah, from coast to coast, it's been tremendous racing at both Saratoga and Del Mar. Uh, how we entered the summer with so much uncertainty, I, I, I would almost say that these have probably have been, um, you know, in, in a certain sense, it's been the best summer for racing because we've been able to just go back to enjoying racing again and great racing. Uh, you mentioned some of the stakes at Del Mar. There's also a big uh, stakes program at Saratoga as they close out with three grade ones and three grade twos, highlighted by the Woodward stakes. And then we will be on the march to the Breeders' Cup, which will be at Santanita once again uh, in early November. So exciting times again in horse racing. Hopefully we can continue to keep the focus on the great sport that we have and the great racing. As we get closer to the Breeders' Cup that's going to be held here locally for us, we're going to plan on putting out more podcasts and sharing some of the great stories from different people in the game, uh, from different syndicate managers to trainers to owners, uh, with lots of different characters that we can highlight for you uh, as we move forward with the For Love of the Game podcast. Absolutely. Well, let's close it out there. For the Love of the Game presented by Horsebills.com. Thanks for listening. We're going to be more active here coming up and uh, enjoy uh, the fall meets leading up to Breeders' Cup. Thank you. Thank you.